The power of youth. That's my topic for this morning. And uh, this is one of those topics that I wish they had defined something for me, but they didn't. So I'll let you decide whether you're youth or not. I typically like to tell people when they talk about their age or they say something about how old they are, I say, age is mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of semi-define it as younger, but I don't know whether I want to completely define it as just younger in Christian, because there could be a younger Christian maybe that is older in years, chronologically. But some of this will apply even to somebody who may be older in years chronologically, but yet is young years as a Christian in the faith. But what I want to do is a couple of things. I want to start out with this. Proverbs 20.29 The glory of young men is their youth. The glory of young men is their youth. There is something to be said for somebody who is young in years and qualities that they just seem to naturally have that maybe don't completely go away as we get older, but perhaps wane just a little bit, like other things. Um, but the glory of young men is their, their youth. Now, one of the examples that I first thought of was a young man in the Old Testament by the name of Josiah. Everybody remember Josiah? What do we typically remember first about Josiah. He was so young. He was king. What, what age was he made king at? Eight years old. Now that's young. Eight years old. Obviously he would have had advisors and people around him to help him that we know about that he leaned on. But what we don't often think of, I guess I'd do that, he was eight years old when he was made king. But does anybody remember, and some of you might, I had to look this up because I was curious what happened. How old was he when he began to seek his, the God of his father? He was 16. Now that's interesting to me. He was king at 8 years old, but it wasn't until he was around 16, according to what God records in the Bible, that he began to seek the, father, uh, the God of his father David. As I watch youth, it seems to me that those mid-teen years tend to be kind of a tipping point. Wouldn't you agree? That it seems like at that point, around maybe somewhere between 13 and 18, we might put a really wide margin on it, but in those teen years is when a lot of things begin to happen in their mind and things get, begin to get settled. So it doesn't, shouldn't surprise us too much that by the time he's 16 years old, the Bible records he begins to seek after the God of his father David. Does anybody know how old he was when he began to purge idolatry from the kingdom? 20. 
The Bible says he was 20 years old when he began to purge Jerusalem and Judea of all the idolatry. He took down the idols. He knocked down the high places. He, he got rid of all of the non-true God worship. Well, I find that interesting too. Because while as a human being, we a lot of times in our mid-teen years begin to really understand what truth is and we begin to uh, look to the truth and we begin to seek for God and seek for what our path is going to be in life, it seems like in our early 20s is the time when we get really aggressive about some of those things. When we get really settled and really secure and then we go at it with all guns ablazing. So 20 years old is when he took the, the initiative to begin purging his society of the false gods. Six years later, he began to restore the temple. So he got rid of all of the stuff that he knew wasn't God, but it was six years later that he started the process of reinstituting the worship of the true God. All of this when he was what we would consider a very young man. But there's a process there. And I think there's maybe a maturing process that we can see in Josiah that we can even see in ourselves and in our children and our grandchildren. That we can watch this progression happen. Wanting to know the truth, finding it, being aggressive about the truth, And then as we get a little older, wanting to make sure that we're doing everything is right. You know, it was at 26 years when he looks around and becomes appalled and realizes how far from God they really are. Everything he's been learning over the past few years as an even younger person comes completely full. And he realizes when they find that copy of the law, right, and it's read to him, and he realizes... He realizes what, he, what has been going on. But there, it, this is all from Second Chronicles 34, by the way. I don't think I said that. In verse 27, we're told that he was blessed because his heart was tender and because he humbled himself before God. Because his heart was tender. He was open to these things. He has the, the, the law read aloud and he vows publicly in front of all of his kingdom that he and they will now begin keeping this law to the letter and not let any of it pass. And it's about that same time that he reestablishes the Passover. All of these things, as a very young man, we would look at some of our 16 to 26-year-olds, and what do we do? We wonder, would they do that? Could they have the power? Could they have the initiative? Could they have the foresight to do that. Perhaps. We as a, as a society like to look around and we like to say, well boy, these, you know, what's our nation coming to? And we see this, this age group, this high school to college age group, and we look at them and we go, boy, I just don't know if it's going to survive. I look around at them and I am amazed at what they're able to overcome sometimes. There is a power and a strength there. There is knowledge there that I think sometimes we don't completely tap into. 
You know, it's interesting, there was another young man about that same time, a man by the name of Jeremiah. And we don't have all of the age tags on him that I would like to have. I would like to know more about his age during these times. But he was the son of Hilkiah, remember? The Hilkiah, the priest that found the law, that, that read it, had it read to Josiah, that kind of started this renewal of the covenant that Josiah oversaw. And so he, he knew all of these things that were going on, would have had intimate knowledge of them because of his father. He's called to be a prophet when Josiah is 21. Now we don't know exactly, at least I couldn't figure out anyway, maybe somebody knows. I couldn't find how old he might have been necessarily, but he considered himself too young. I know that. One of his responses when God was calling him was, I'm too young to do this. And God tells him he's not too young. God disagrees. God knows that youth have abilities. Youth have strength. Youth have power. The the glory of a young man is in their strength. So what does the young... What do the young have to offer? If we're going to, to talk about what, pow, what the power of youth is and what they can do for us then, and what they can do for the church, then what is it that they have to offer? Well, they have a lot of things to offer. And probably the first and most obvious is they have a lot of energy. How many times do we as adults look around at the youth and go, wow, if I had that kind of energy again? And with that energy comes enthusiasm. It's like a natural outcropping. There's all this energy. There's all this enthusiasm. They have the the go-get. They see things and they want to get them done right now. They don't want to wait. They have that energy. They have that enthusiasm. And coupled with that is they have a lot of vision. You don't have to spend very much time at all with the youth of the church to figure out that they have a lot of thoughts about what could be. They have a lot of thoughts about what could be. Us adults have a lot of thoughts about what could be too, but the difference I think sometimes between the youth and the older is that the youth have a lack of pessimism. They don't understand it can't be done. They don't understand the restrictions that are placed on them. You know, I've... (coughs) Excuse me. I've used this example before, but I want to bring it up again. I was standing one time, uh, this was quite a long time ago now, but I was standing one time in a, a group of, of men. There were some, some older men, there were some younger men, there were some very young individuals. We were all just standing around talking about different things and, and what was going on. And, and we were talking about ways to reach out and things that we could do. And one of the younger in the, in the group, um, made this comment. He said, you know, I think I think we should knock doors. I think we should go up and down the community, around the church building, and we should knock on some doors and make sure they know who we are and what we believe and what we stand for and, and how we can help them. My first thought was, all right, good, we've got something going, we can do something. One of the older men that was standing there without even batting an eye, almost before the young man was done with his little statement that he made, said, well, you're welcome to try that if you want, but I found that really doesn't work too well. 
Now, there's no doubt in my mind that that man thought that he maybe was helping this young man out, saving him some trouble, maybe. But I could see, I could see in that young man's eyes the, the fire begin to, to dwindle a little. Maybe, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I shouldn't go do that. I pulled that young man aside a little bit later after that group had, bro- had broke up and I said, what are you going to do this afternoon? And he was, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to do this. I said, how about we go knock some doors? And he said, okay, let's go. And we had a great afternoon. We had some good conversations. We had no Bible studies from it. But that day, at that moment, my, I didn't care a thing about whether we got any Bible studies from it. My goal was to try to reignite that young man's fire. As adults, sometimes that's what we've got to do. Yeah, maybe it didn't work for us a few times. Yeah, maybe that doesn't sound like all that much fun to us. But if there's nothing wrong with it, why is there something wrong with it? Sometimes we need to be the force that helps blow on that fire a little bit to get it blazed back up again. But let me tell you, if you can get them fired up, there's no holding them back. There's no holding them back. And here's another interesting point that we often don't think about. This is the group that is now bringing up the next generation. If, if we're getting to the point where our children are having children, and we're still viewing those children as young people in the church, that's fine. But understand that they're now bringing up the next generation. And they, and they, need, they need to be encouraged in that energy and that vision and that enthusiasm and that lack of pessimism that the church will continue as they bring up the next generation. Because now it's their turn. With that energy, with that enthusiasm, with that lack of pessimism, with that vision though, comes some pitfalls, doesn't it? There are some things that the younger generation does have to avoid. And we as the older generation, without putting their fire out, have to help them through this. Because it's also an easy time where they could go off onto another track and be gone forever. So we have to help them through some of these things that they have to avoid. They've got a lot of energy, they've got a lot of enthusiasm, they've got vision, but it's important, right? Us older ones, and I unfortunately have to categorize myself that now, that we guide them a little bit to help keep them from rushing into things. There's an interesting passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11.9, that says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. And if we stopped right there, this sounds like an encouragement to the youth to go out and get them. But if we finish the thought, if we finish the thought that God had written down, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Yes, rejoice in your youth. Go the direction that you see you need to go. Have that energy, have that vision, have that enthusiasm, but you have to recognize that everything you do must be accounted for later. Which means we might have to pull the reins back just enough 
Not to slow them down, not to control them, but just to make sure they're going in the right direction. Just to make sure they're going in the right direction and they don't rush into things. There's some other things that the youth have to avoid. And this isn't just the youth, is it? We have to avoid forming cliques, little groups that only associate with those little groups. Now this starts young. What I find encouraging is when I see the youth and I'm watching them and I see people, a group of them over here talking and then the next thing I know, there's, there's that group is in other groups talking. And then pretty soon there's different groups talking. Or we go to the activities that were going on last night at the Hermans. And I look around and I see a group of kids doing something over here. And the next thing I know, that group of kids isn't doing something. And I look around and there's different groups of kids doing different things. That encourages me. Because I look around sometimes at the adults and I see that we, we have our cliques. So we have to be careful about that, especially as we're young. And there, ha- there is, because they have this vision, because they want to see new things, because they want to try different things, they have to be careful. The youth must be careful about not being too progressive is the way I'm going to phrase it. Not taking the church out into a direction that they shouldn't go. You know, we all probably know people, I do anyway, know people that were raised in the church, know how the worship service is supposed to be run, but now they worship with uh, a, a group that maybe has instruments in their worship service. Well, how did that group get to the point where they used instruments? Well, it didn't start... It didn't start with the 50 and above crowd, did it? So the youth have to be careful that they, they don't become too progressive, that they don't take the church in a direction that it shouldn't be. How do they do that? They do that with the guidance of the older generation. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Youth have to avoid being overly critical too. Now this is true for all of us. But a lot of times that enthusiasm, that energy, that vision in the youth, they have a tendency, I know I would do this, I'm speaking from experience, when I was younger, much younger, I would sometimes look at what was going on and I would say, oh, you're kidding me. This song again, this story again, this subject at the meeting again, But as youth, we, they have to be not too overly critical. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Exhort him as a father. Most of us would not walk up to our, our dad and just totally unleash criticism on him. Most of us have enough respect for them not to do that. And we should be that way. Younger should be that way all the time toward the older. Having that, uh, ha- not being overcritical, and along with that, not being disrespectful. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. You arise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. Proverbs 20, 29. The 
We talked about the glory of the young man is their strength, but look at the other half of that. The splendor of the old man is their gray head. The youth have to understand and recognize the wisdom that is in the older generation and lean on that. And know that they've been there, they've done that, they've gone through it, and they have advice that they can give. And not to just go off on their own without seeking or heeding any any of that advice. So what does all this mean? What do younger Christians need to do? What is how can they be active? How can they be present and useful in the congregation or in their in the church they attend? Well, they might have to to commit to new roles and responsibilities. You're going to have to as youth, you're going to have to try things you've never tried before. Try leading a song Try giving a lesson. Younger ladies, try teaching the class downstairs. I go, I do VBSs and, and uh, sometimes uh, somebody in the congregation will come up to me because there will be a teen girl or even a teen boy that instead of being in the teen class is helping out with one of the younger classes or teaching one of the younger classes. And they'll, they'll come up to me and they'll say, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we really needed them down there and, and, that, and they're good at this and they enjoy it. And I look at them and say, don't be sorry, be thankful. This is wonderful that they're transitioning into a role of, of teacher rather than being taught. Because that's what they're supposed to do at some point. And there's no age limit on when that happens. It's when they're able, right? They have to learn to take on. And, and to the young, let me let you know this. This is a secret that us older ones know that you need to understand. You won't do it right the first time. It won't be perfect. You won't give the perfect lesson. You won't give the perfect talk. You'll, you'll have 20 minutes and you'll use 5. You'll have 10 minutes and you'll use 30. Okay? You'll misquote a verse. You'll write something wrong down in your notes. Guess what? That stuff happens to all of us. Okay? It won't be perfect and it doesn't have to be perfect. God doesn't expect God God doesn't expect that we're going to do everything perfectly. That's why he has mercy and forgiveness and repentance. But give it a try. Give it a try. Accept that new role and responsibility. Learn to work with other generations. You need, I'm speaking to the young right now, so you pick who I'm talking to, you need their experience. You need their understanding. You need their knowledge. You need to learn to lean on that and utilize it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to sit down as a younger person with an older person and say, what do you think? Maybe it's about an, uh, an issue. Maybe it's about a passage of Scripture. Maybe it's about, I, I think maybe I'd like to try this. What do you think? And get their honest opinion. We'll talk about what that opinion should be like in a minute. Realize you can make a difference and then work toward that goal. Realize that you have a place and a purpose in the congregation. Your place and purpose in the congregation is not just to show up and sit in the pew and then leave when it's time. You have other things you can do. 
We love to hear you sing. We love to hear you make a comment in class. Even if it's, even if it's a comment that I've thought and, and real, and maybe I thought as an, as somebody a little more experienced, I don't like using the word old, a little more experienced, maybe I thought that that comment was pretty elementary and basic. But I hear you make that comment and I realize two things. One, it doesn't matter what I thought was elementary and basic. It needed to be said. And two, you're paying attention. Make that comment. Ask that question. Teach that younger person's class. If you're in a position where you can, lead that prayer. Lead that song. Wait on the Lord's table. Teach that class. Give that five-minute lesson. And do it with all the gusto you've got. You can make a difference. And recognize the influence that you have. You know, a lot of times, we, when we're younger, like to think that we don't have much influence. We're being influenced. Well, that's true. We are being influenced, but there's a lot of influence that we have. If you're 30 years old, the 20-year-olds are paying attention, are watching. If you're 20 years old, the 16-year-olds are paying attention. If you're 16, the 12-year-olds are paying attention. If you're 12 years old, the 8-year-olds are paying attention. You are influencing somebody. You may not even know who it is. But that influence has to be right. You've got to pay attention. Understand and recognize the influence that you have. So what do, and I like this phrase, the seasoned Christians, what, do they, what must they do? When it comes to the youth and utilizing the power that youth have, what, what do they need to do? Well, they need to be open to their energy and insights. Just because somebody's enthusiastic and has a lot of energy and you're wore out, doesn't mean that you should bring them down. Encourage them. Go knock doors with them for an afternoon. Their influence may energize you. It may be the best thing that's happened to you in months. And that may be the best thing that's happened for the church in a long time. Learn to work with the young, not for them. There's an important difference there, I think. To work with the young, not for them. At some point, as a seasoned Christian, it is not my job to do everything for the younger Christian. I need to work with them so that they can become the seasoned Christian in the future. So that they can, that they are capable and able of taking over those roles. And they are able to step up to their responsibility. Listen and guide rather than telling. Listen and guide rather than telling. Now don't get me wrong. This, I'm not trying to tell you how to parent your five-year-old. Okay? This is, we're talking about older members of the church and how they react and respond to younger members of the church. Teenagers, young 20s, those youth in the church that are stepping into the role of beginning the process of taking over. Becoming the mothers and the fathers and the deacons and the elders and the teachers and the leaders in the church. Listen and guide. If I listen to them, they might actually have a good idea. But if I don't listen to them, I'll never know what that good idea was. 
I think it's wonderful when I go to, to meetings like this, and there's a big difference. I can see it when I go to the meeting. A difference between the congregation where the eldership has allowed the younger in the congregation to take leadership roles and, and, and take on the process of, of maybe helping decide the organization of the meeting and the topics and picking the speakers and, and coming up with the ideas that they want talked about and, and organizing the meeting and having a role in the process versus the congregations where the elders just did everything and told everybody what was going to happen. You can see the difference. We have to learn to listen and guide rather than just tell. And as a seasoned Christian, at some point, we have to be ready to let go of our previous role and let them take charge. Let them have that authority and responsibility. That may be as a parent, eventually, but as a, and as a teacher, but it sure exists as, a, as an, uh, an older member of the church, that we're able to allow them to have that role. Think about this. Oop, I didn't want to go there yet. Think about this. In, Isaiah, er, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 42, when David approaches Goliath, what is the first thing Goliath sees about him? Do you remember? He was only a boy. He was only a boy. And just a little while later, what was it that Saul saw about him? He's only a boy. And when he first showed up, what did his older brother first think? You're too young. You're too young. Those were all three different men's opinion. One was a relative, one was the leader, and one was the opposition. And they all thought the same thing. He's too young. He's too young. He's too young. Samuel thought that. When he was looking at the boys and trying to figure out who he was to anoint the next king. Over and over in David's life, he heard the message, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. And what did he do? He went on to become one of the greatest kings of Israel. A man after God's own heart. Because as a youth, his focus was the Lord. Because as a youth, his focus was the Lord. So how is it? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no one despise your youth. Now, Paul doesn't just leave it there. He tells Timothy in that verse how to not be looked down on by the older in the congregation. How to have that influence. How to be able to use that authority and power that you have, that vision, to help move the church forward. He tells you. He says, first of all, be an example in word. Pay attention to the things you say. Words matter. Pay attention to the things you say, both to the older generations and to each other, and to the younger generations in the church and out of the church. Be an example. I love how he says that. He doesn't just say, be careful what you say. He says, be an example. Already, Paul is telling Timothy as a young man, you be the example. You show them how they should talk. You be the example in your conduct. 
You pay attention to how you behave. And you let that be an example. You show them. You show them. You prove to them that you you know what's right. Be an example in love. Take that energy, take that enthusiasm, and use it to help people. Show people that you care about them. Be an example in love. Be an example in spirit. You've got the fire. Don't quench it. And don't let anybody else quench it. Use that as an example in spirit. Be an example in faith. Be an example in faith, in consistency, in endurance, in the the belief that you have. Be an example in that. And be an example in purity. Purity of, uh, of action, purity of thought, purity of intent, purity of heart. Be an example. Don't just sit back and wait for everybody else to tell you what you should do. Be an example in these things. Be an example. Because we as the older generation, we get enthused. We can feed off of that enthusiasm. We can feed off of that vision. And it helps us. It helps us and we need it. Because guess what? Some of the people, if you look around, some of the people in this auditorium have been at this spiritual fight for a very long time. And older people, would you agree with me? It wears on you sometimes. It can get discouraging. It can get frustrating. You look at the people around you, the people we have to go to work with every day, the people we see in our neighborhood, the people we interact with. We, we deal with, we look at society. And we see society going downhill. And all of this can be a real drain. You know what we need from you? We need energy and enthusiasm and vision and goal and purpose. We need you to be this. Because that helps us. That helps us. The glory of young men is in their strength. And the splendor of old men is in their gray head. We need your strength and vision. You need our wisdom. Let's work together. Let's move the church forward. I don't mean go off on tangents and find the latest new thing and go after it. We're specifically told not to do that, right? But help energize us. Sing. Teach, show us your energy. Because the glory, your glory, your praise, your honor, your biggest thing that you have to give to us is your youth. And we need it. Thank you.